Welcome to the Board Game Snobs Podcast. Critically harsh reviews with a touch of class. Go again. Hey! This is not the exact same intro I gave just a moment ago when apparently our microphones messed up and I spiked out. This is Jerry. This is Gabby. This is Enrique. This That's a much better intro. Yeah. Way better than what we did previously. <laughs> Thanks, Proper 12. <laughs> uh, it's been a while, It's proper. been a while since I've been... Remember Stain? How could I forget? I like that song. It's been a while. They also did... It's stained on my memory. The best song of theirs that I... Their best song. It's not their best song, but the song I enjoyed was the one that he wrote for his daughter, and I think her daughter... Uh-huh. It's like Zoe Jane or something like that. Zoe Jane? Yeah, I think it was Zoe Jane. It's something like that. Zoe Jane lyrics. Yeah. Not correct. By Stain. Well, I want you to notice. So notice when I'm not around. I know that you're out. That's street. See straight through me. No, that's not how it. That, you're singing it like it's country. Oh. Well. That's better. Hey, did you know Conrad Ratcherford, who sent us an email and said oh. that I listened to some of his music? Conrad Ratcherford was somebody who sent us an email, and I didn't think that he was a real person. But he's an actual singer, and he has an album, and his songs are all right. I listened to a few of them. I, I, I can't remember. The finest of compliments, his songs are all right. Well, you know how it is. I'm not into music. How, does, how Okay. How is one not into music? I don't understand. Well, I like... Actually, you know what? I'm being a hypocrite. I understand perfectly. Um, Thank you for my, admitting that. My, my, I enjoy music. But I don't require it at all times like Charday does. Charday has music going nonstop. Oh, God. My brother used to have, he has to have music going nonstop. If there's a song I like, I'll listen to it a few times, but I don't have to have music going nonstop. I don't, I don't care that much. I listen to music like maybe once a day, like when I'm getting in the car going somewhere and I feel like I need to wake up, I'll listen to something. But other than that, I don't, I don't classical music when i'm studying things of that nature oh look at you enrique beef oven what What? dutch oven beef oven i don't know what beef oven is or mozart oh (laughs) Uh, bill and ted i I see what you did there (laughs) see (laughs) rock on and yeah enrique what's your favorite genre of music or no who's your favorite composer oh composer Hans zimmer yeah mozart 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 I know I'm saying that incorrectly. Who's art? Moe's. <laughs> I like Larry and Curly. Who? What? Yeah, music. <laughs> what songs? Is there a band that you enjoy? This is the Board Game Snobs podcast, by the way. We're going to talk about board games here in a second after we get done with this nonsense. Excellent. I'm on a band while Enrique's thinking. Yes. Actually, it's Aerosmith. You like Aerosmith? Yes. Actually. Do you listen, actively listen to Aerosmith? No. Dude, it looks like a no. lady. Mama, I remember mama. That uh, Was that really about a song about a dude who looks like a lady? I don't know. I'm pretty sure. Usually, most of the singers kind of base their songs off of reality most of the time. So, who was this dude that looked like a lady? Well, if we actually think of what time the time period of Aerosmith was, 
I don't know. I was going with this. I don't know where you're going with this either. I was letting you go with it because I was I was actually taken aback because I just thought we're going to have to edit all of this out. (laughs) So it's okay. Um, I'm really into. Okay, I don't off. Okay, this is my thing. When I find somebody I like, I get into them. Like I I deep dive their albums. Uh, when Charday showed me 21 Pilots, I went back and listened to every album. Love them, guys. All their stuff now is kind of starting to sound super poppy. Uh, Blue October. They got some good stuff. They got some... Okay, this is the thing with Blue October. They have, hit me today, hit me tomorrow. You know? You heard that song? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I do, yeah. Great stuff back in the 90s. Loved it. Good jam. Into the Ocean. I listened to Jason and Deb. Well, actually, Deb's got fired. It's just Jason, Dick, and Friends. Name of the show. Um, out of Austin. <laughs> I'm just clarifying. I got all that. And uh, he had on Justin Furstenfeld. That's the lead singer of Blue October. He had him on the show. They're like buddies. Did like a, what do they call that? In studio, playing the guitar, singing the songs. Mm. And he sang some songs. I'm like, Man, I like that. That's a pretty song. So I started looking up Blue October. Started going into it. Uh, looked him up on Wikipedia. This, You know what, Jerry? I started thinking about myself. I'm really going all over the place. I started thinking about myself in response to your podcast with Bubba about well, well, autism, et yeah. cetera, and the things that you get obsessed with and little quirks and things. Quirks. That's something else I want to discuss. Okay. I need to calm down. You did. I don't know what you did. Is that proper? I like how we myth. just got into go. just go. saying. Drink some of this. Drink more of this for a moment. Okay. First of all, let me finish my Blue October thing. Justin Furstenfeld, I looked into his Wikipedia the dude went through a lot of stuff. Like when they were at the height of their popularity, he had like this mental breakdown. Mm. <clears throat> Much like had, what you did. <laughs> as soon as we hit a thousand subscribers. <laughs> he had these like uh, anxiety attacks, depression, and but he was able to deal with it, got therapy. And like a lot of his music, he talks about, you know, working through the pain and all this stuff. And it really, it really is not, it's good stuff. Some good emo stuff. Really beauty, beauty, really beauty music. Okay, off of Blue October now. Uh, but check out Blue October. They have this song I like, and it is entitled. It's off their new. They come out with an album last year, and all of uh, you know who who's going to come out with albums in a pandemic. But he's got this song from this album that came out last year entitled. I want you to listen to it. Only lost is found. Wait a minute. I don't think you should play that. I'm not going to play it. I'm not going to play it. But it's called Only Lost is Found. It's a really pretty song. I'll listen to it. It's got a good beat. Okay. But then I got to thinking about your podcast with Bubba. Okay. You brought out some points. I was listening. I know, but are we going to banter first? Because like you've you've, you've shoehorned me into this. Okay. We'll we'll save the banter. Go on with your questions. Okay. I wrote down some notes. Okay. So this is regarding, let me back up and just clarify those. This is regarding episode 152, where Gabi was previously busy with episode 151, interviewing Mr. Kincaid, which that was an awesome, that was that was fun to listen to, because I know he's kind of your hero. I like James. He was good. He, he has that awesome voice. He is obviously into audio. He has what I call non-regional diction. Like, if I was to listen to him, I couldn't tell where he was from. That's the second... Type of joke of like of that nature for which I had to pass over just now. So I'm doing really good. I am good. showing so much restraint. Thank you very much. So uh, you're talking about autism. Some, oh, Charday must be here. She's banging around. She's there. banging yes. around. You're talking about uh, autism and the different levels and the different the five was it like five different senses or things that it tied up of it kind of affects. Well, I was talking about the generalized. That, that's an easy one just to kind of. 
to categorize the areas it affects an autistic person. So it's like five different areas. So there's more, obviously, but that's just right. in general. Actually, Trevor had just Facebooked a message on our Facebook group and saying that he thinks he might have some of these. Like, hey, how do you get diagnosed? Oh, well, if you're a child, it's if you're a child, um, it's really easy because obviously there's it's kind of let me start over. Like I'm saying, like for me. In my old age, I, I have issues. I don't know whether they're issues due to old age, being in a routine, getting in a rut, or things are coming to the fore. Okay. A, how do you get diagnosed? B, can things come to the fore later in years where you start thinking and wondering if you are maybe have some of these things? Well, autism is easier diagnosed with children. And, and typically, like I said on the previous podcast with boys. And so, yes, you go to a child psychologist is generally how it is. Or occupational therapy, things of that nature. A lot of school teachers have a, a background in identifying autistic traits in kids. You know, the kindergarten, first grade, that level. But, yeah, it's something that, you know, a pediatrician is trained to look for. And so, in the past several years clinicians are more inclined to be able to, to watch for and, and, and be able to really know the signs and symptoms of it, especially uh, in girls, which are highly undiagnosed. So it's, it's when you're young, but unfortunately there are many whose either their parents did not seek out to have their child diagnosed or like, for instance, the stars just align with someone like myself where I had other comorbidities, I had other things going on. And so it was easy to kind of overlook the autistic traits. And then I was homeschooled. So when you're in public school, a lot of times they're screening for this. Mm-hmm. And so, and again, you have to look when if it's a, a, an older ch- child or an adult, you have to go back and look at the history. And that's really very telling is the history of the child. Like today, were they a late talker? Did they have language issues? There's, there's just, it's very fascinating how they have to go back and diagnose an adult. So there are, like I brought out in the previous podcast, there are a lot of adults who are, are quote unquote on the spectrum or autistic that have issues that were not diagnosed when they're young. And they are just now realizing this is, these are the issues that I'm having. And maybe that's related to that. And it's incredibly hard for an adult to get diagnosed. I was wondering about that because I have issues myself, which I've kind of discussed here and with Jerry before, but it's like, in my mind, I'm like, no, surely not. But I don't know. And how do you die? How, okay, so like growing up, the only re- the only reason I know the term autism, autistic, is growing up, I remember like Geraldo Rivera had on these autistic savants. Mm. The only thing that was related to autism was these autistic savants. And these people that be like, okay, they they obviously have some sort of social, they have social issues where they don't talk or they aren't good with crowds or people or whatever, but yet he can play like Mozart symphony by hearing it one time or can sculpt anything by looking at a picture, you know, that type of deal. So that's my only thing growing up. But now it's like, I think even like with like, you know, depression and bipolar or whatever, these mental issues was like nowadays they're able to say, okay, now this is the issue. And this is why you feel this way. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you're not autistic, probably. You're more just a you're just a drunk and just a- <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, well, now that okay, in, going along with that though, it's like there are people, and uh, like you talked about the person in our gaming group that is, I would say, uh, levels higher than you in his 
difficult right. and, and, or uh, and not difficult how whatever the terminology in, in the is the support that he needs but yeah like the the, the various diagnoses is now with asd like autism spectrum disorder is the actual d- definition and there's like one two or three okay. and that's not and, so which and, one's the highest which one has the most three issues three, three i believe and so the 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 reason that that type of language is kind of sticky is that you used to Back in the day, they referred to, as I brought out, like high-functioning autism or right. Asperger's. And so that that can be detrimental because when you say high-functioning, what are you referring to? So And so that's, that's, the, that's the easiest way to look at it is how much support does that, does that person need? And so that's really the level. So like it. in your case, I mean, you run a freaking branch of this company you're part of, whereas our other friend... Can hardly hold down a job. Well, he also has other comorbidities with that. When I say comorbidities, I mean he has other issues, not just autism. That leads into my other question. So, like, say you have anxiety issues, Mm -hmm. depression. Mm -hmm. Is that lumped in with autism? Does that add to the spectrum, or is that completely separated? it's, It's separated, but it's one of those things that, tend to have these other comorbidities, tend to have these other things, such as general anxiety disorder, depression, tics, Tourette's, Rett's. I um, think I just have comorbidities. You, yeah, you are. You are. No, you don't have comorbidities. You no, are the morbidity. You I are the my, primary morbidity. Morbid obesity. That's what I got. Corman morbid <laughs> Corman obesity. Corman-fed obesity. Uh, Corn-fed obesity. <laughs> Corn-fed obesity. <laughs> that's me. So that's what I was thinking. Like some, So it's like you have autism or you are autistic. But on top of that, maybe you have these other things that people that are autistic lean more towards anyway. Right. So, like you, this is my deal with you. When you were talking to Bubba, you were very, you were, you were very nice and kind and reasonable sounding with Bubba. And for me, when I take it in, and I realize this about myself, it's like you know what? I realize I'm super sensitive. Yes. I'm overly sensitive. So an overly sensitive mixed with Jerry is probably not a good combo. Mm-mm. So I was thinking about, okay, so Jerry is able to, so like you, with your level, are you able to look at yourself and say, this is, how I am, knowing how Gobby is, can you make adjustments? Can autistic people in general make adjustments? I know y'all talked about, what is that word y'all kept referring to in your... Accommodations. Accommodations. So, I, I, it's, it's great if it's a halfway thing. But like for me, all it's hard for me, to, and I'm, I'm trying now that I listen to your podcast, I'm trying like, okay, so this is something that Jerry like triggers Jerry and he probably can't help. But when I talk to you, you talk, I don't really see anything except your condens- condescension or whatever. Right. So, and then that's, you, you bring up a good point. <clears throat> and so if you were to get on the internet and to look up like various support groups, there are many for people who, who are all, for autistic people, support groups, there is, also, a subsection of that of spouses and relatives of people with autism, because as I, I alluded to during the previous podcast about it kind of not only being a developmental disorder, that some people actually refer to it as a relationship disorder, 
So it's kind of like it is difficult living with an autistic person at times because it is not you are a neurotypical person. Certain things you require. For instance, you've often uh, complained about to me, and I say complain, that's not the right word. How but, dare you. Uh, that I, either I will not admit that I'm wrong about something or, or something of that nature. Oh, no, it's just like uh, we had a discussion the other day. It's like, I want to try this. You didn't see the reason to it. Mm-hmm. And you think very factually, statistics, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, but I just want to try it. And you're like, but it doesn't make sense. But I'm like... But why can't you just say okay, just to accom- just to accommodate me? That is an excellent. That is an excellent example. That's an excellent example. I'm glad you brought that up. So, like you, you did mention, and this is this is just to illustrate kind of what happens when you have not only an emotional person, but just someone who is neurotypical, who's dealing with somebody who's also autistic. You want to essentially elongate the podcast. You said that's what she said. Yes, right. <clears throat> Another joke I'll overlook. Uh, you said that uh, you want to have like the podcast for over an hour, make it make an hour and a half, two hour episodes to see if we'll get more listeners. Just to try it out. So, so you send me this message and say this, and you, you go on about it for a little bit instead of just doing a normal 30 to 45 minutes to an hour. And I'm like, I don't care. But again, at the same time, I don't know what effect that'll have. So from my standpoint in this conversation, and when I looked over it, I'm basically just asking you, why do you think having an hour and a half long podcast will somehow get us more clicks than the one that we're doing? You were not able to clarify that, to say why you thought that. Right. I often can't. Because you can't. So then I go. I often have no facts to back up my thoughts. Right. So so, so you had no reason. So it's like you you weren't. I'm very unreasonable. Right. You weren't able to say, I've read this article, and it says that on Spotify, if your podcast is over an hour right. or an hour and a half. I wasn't able to provide you in a spreadsheet. So, essentially, you come up with this idea that has no grounds in reality or basis and no evidence for it, and you say, let's do this. And I go, why would you want to do this? And then you're mad because I said, why would you want to do this? Now, I was not pushing back against you. I was just asking for evidence. And so then I get this response back from you, several paragraphs long, where you're discussing how I've hurt your feelings. And I'm, I'm like devastated because I'm like, how did I hurt your feelings? Like, what did I say? And I'm looking back through this message going, I didn't say anything wrong to you. I said no thing. I said nothing that was in the least bit. No thing or no, nothing. No, no thing at all. And then it's like, no, you just wanted me to be able, you do, you would, and this is, and stop me if I'm wrong. What I got from your next messages were essentially you wanted me to just to say, okay. You wanted me to just go along with whatever, as you put it, whatever dumb idea you had and say, okay, I'll just support you in it. So right. I, so from the standpoint of a being a neurotypical person, you have this idea. You want somebody to support you and say, you know what? Go ahead and do that. Like, for instance, in most neurotypical friendships, you have one side that says, hey, let's try this. The other side doesn't generally say, give me facts to support why you want to try that, and then I will reason about why we can or cannot do that. Right. Generally, they're like, sure, I don't really care. It doesn't affect me. Let's go ahead and try it. My friend wants to try this. Sure, let's do it. Yeah, and so but you don't operate that I way. I don't operate that way. So there and then and, and people who have who autistic people tend to think in terms of black and white. And I'll talk a little bit about this term about rigid thinking here in a moment, but to give you an example, I had a friend that I grew up with who was about to marry a person, marry a girl. 
And I remember that, of course, when he's telling everybody, I'm about to get married, I'm engaged to so-and-so, everybody was like doing what neurotypical people do. They congratulate the person. Congratulations. And he come to me and said, I'm about to marry so-and-so. And I go, and I and I, I remember being 17, 18. Give me your spreadsheet as to why. Well, I was, I was 18 years old, and I looked at him and said, and I remember this clearly. I remember the look on his face. I said, you are making the biggest mistake of your life. <laughs> And he and he looked at me with such such shock, and I said, "So why do you want to marry her?" And his response was, "Of course, was, I love her. I love her." And I go, "Why?" <laughs> and this is this is a sound sound reasoning in my mind because when I was dating the the girl who which I married, and someone said. You know, you you, you you do you love her? And I'm like, yes. And she's I said, a great bookkeeper. Yeah. When she's and it's like, it's, and it literally when she when they they said, you know, so why do you want to get married? I said, I love her, and for these reasons. <laughs> and I proceed to list out. Jerry, you can't quantify love, but you can quantify but you, love. But most people can't. You can quantify I the love. qualities of a person. Well, I mean, you Enrique. can talk. Look at Enrique. Just let Enrique talk Enrique. for a minute. Enrique, you can take over my spot. I'm okay. So this is something about me, I, and I and I wrote this down. I wrote this down, Jerry, for you. I am so sorry. I put my glass on your table. That's okay. <laughs> I wrote this down for you. I like the fact that I've insulted your weight and everything else and have never apologized, but I got condensation on your board gaming table, and I'm like, this would that freak is me something out. You care I am about. so sorry. <laughs> I wrote down, I have come to realize and have become self-aware, but my problem is generally overly self-aware, mm-hmm. and it may verge into narcissism of how emotional and sensitive I have become in my later years. Well, I don't think you're narcissistic at all. You don't think so? No. Okay, define narcissism because I may just not know the definition. Well, narcissist is like somebody who goes out and the, the actual technical definition. Um, it's, but narcissists go out and seek to harm people. Oh. They manipulate people. I don't want to harm nobody. Like they're, they're actually, a narcissist is a dangerous thing. Oh, okay. I'm so, not narcissist. No, narcissism you, is the pursuit of gratification from vanity or egotistic admiration of one's idealized self-image and attributes. Yeah, that, that's not you at all. You have okay. very little attributes nor self <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? That's a joke. That's a joke. But uh, See, JK, now that's JK. a prime example of narcissism, right? Right. There. No. <laughs> See, I'm trying to illustrate it for you. Uh, but, but no, that's not it. But no, you you just have okay. You are just overly I, emotional. I am, and this is what's weird. Growing up, my mother called me Spock. Because she, I of approach because of you my large have, you pointy have, ears. You do have large pointy ears. I don't know if anybody's ever noticed Every, this. Everyone called me Spock growing up. Actually, now that I think about it, everyone, uh, it wasn't just small. Also, when I was little, I had also had not big ears, but my ears weren't so much flat to my head, and they uh-huh. called me, and I this devastated Dumbo. Me. No, try again. Big presidential ears? candidate in the nineties. Oh, Ross Perot. Ross Perot drove me insane. Now, Jerry. Is what we're going to do here, Jay. I'm just saying. Now he had. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so what happened to Ross Perot? How he uh, is he alive? He's like a billionaire. He's a billionaire, billion years old too. Mm. So my mom used to come. <laughs> <laughs> looking at me weirdly. Okay, so my mom called me Spot because when I was younger, I approached things from a 
apparently a very logical standpoint. As I've got, I don't, I, I don't know if it's as I've gotten older or what, but I'm super emotional. Well, is that, is that, does that just happen with no, neurotypical no, people as they grow older? Well, no, it's that you have a lot of suppressed emotions and okay. things. Of that well, nature. okay. So, so then whatever the case is, I realize now, not just now, I've realized it for a while. I just refuse to acknowledge it. I'm sensitive. I'm a sensitive guy. You can acknowledge that for a long time. I, I want people. I want people to be happy around me. I want myself to be happy. I want things to go a certain way. If they don't go that way, it really jacks me up. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing. That's the, that's the only reason I was thinking about a diagnosis, whatever. Because it's like when I envision something going a certain way and it doesn't go that way, it really just fracks me up. Well, that's just mainly because you want to. It's not that you're a control freak. But what, I wouldn't but, say that. At but all. I was, but I was thinking that's a selfish thing though, because it's like I want my evenings to go this way. Something comes in, messes that up, it like ruins my whole night, and I obsess about it all that night long. When you say obsessed, what happens? Like that's all I think about. Like it, it disables me. I can't have a good time. I can't reason myself out of it. I'm just upset all night long. Relationships are <laughs> the evening is ruined. People around me are upset because I'm upset, blah, blah, blah. Well, it just sounds like you have just like a generalized anxiety disorder. Like you're just, you're, you are just so worried about everything that you feel like you have to control the environment so that no other excess anxiety is created. Yeah, I don't like anxiety. But you have it all the time. Right. However, I will say the other day, I, I was, you told me about what, what's that cognitive brain therapy? Is that? I was talking about cognitive behavioral therapy, Be- just okay. being able to frame things. So the other day, this is, uh, we are in, at the time of this recording, we are in within seven days of the day my mother passed away two years ago. And I realized that. Several days ago, I was in a funk. Right. I just got in a real bad funk and I couldn't figure it out. And I was sat there and I'm like, why am I in a funk? And I said, Jerry said, don't let things affect you that aren't worth being affected by. Like, why is this ruining my day? But by, by using what you said, I realized my dad had texted me. He was in a funk. Mm-hmm. My father being in a funk because his wife passed away two years ago. He was thinking about her. He was sad and I felt helpless. So therefore that put me in a bad mood. And Gina and Charday both were like, what's wrong? What's going on? But at the time, I, when they asked me that question, I was like, I don't know. Like, something's been on my brain. I don't know. But then I sat down, and I went, I processed everything that was going on that day. I was like, oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Dad texted me and said he was missing mom, blah, 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 two years ago. Uh, her day of death is coming up. And I, I nailed that down. And I said, this is why I'm upset. Right. But- that should not affect the way I'm treating everybody in the evening I'm having with my family because, okay, uh, why is that affecting me? I mean, clearly it's affecting me because I miss my mother. My father misses my mother. But I, the, for the first time ever, I was able to acknowledge this is what's bothering me. Right. And it's not worth ruining my evening over. So d- two points there. One, imagine never being able to identify what your feelings are and what's bothering you. Okay. So a lot of autistic people have trouble with perception and being able to understand really if not only are they nervous, but what's making them nervous. And so there is there is that 
issue of not really knowing what your body is doing and being able to identify why why do I feel ill? Like I, m- I remember often I talked about my stomach always being sick. Like I felt like I was always sick to my stomach. Mm-hmm. I'd always talk about, oh, I'm, I'm just sick, I'm just sick, I'm just sick. It was anxiety. I was unable to understand what anxiety felt like, much less figure out what was making me anxious. And so with people who have all, autistic people have to be able to identify these feelings, understand them, and then make that connection of this is what anxiety feels like. When does anxiety occur? What is it about? And then what can I do about it? And so that's a very difficult thing, like I said, in terms of perception for someone who is autistic to be able to connect. And you, you mentioned two things there. And the reason I bring that up is that one, being able to identify what's causing you distress and acting upon it is a big deal. You know, it, it's a big deal to be able to figure out well, what is it that's bothering me. You used a phrase there uh, that you felt helpless. So when I was going through EMT training, there was a, a, a an instructor that I had expressed, I had watched the law that night, rescue 911. And, you know, and I, that, that was my background. I had never seen anything besides, you know, hearing Vietnam stories from my dad and seeing things on television. And I had expressed what happens when something is bad and I'm seeing all this gore. What if I freeze up? And she said this most profound thing to me. She says, it's different if you're a bystander. If you're just standing around watching something, you take it in. And you're just shocked because you're literally just watching it happen. She says, you, from this point on, you are no longer a bystander. You're going to be an active participant. You are there to help somebody, and you will perceive things differently. So from that point on, when you're licensed, when you're trained, and when you know what you're doing, you're no longer a bystander. You're in this. You're able to oh, act upon I, it. I feel like you're saying bystander. Is that what it is? Bystander? Bystander. Bystander. I feel like you're saying standard. Standard. I mean, I'm meaning, I'm meaning bystander. Like they're just standing around. A bystander. Right. He's standing. So as they stand by. Uh, so my point is, is that you're never truly helpless. So for instance, in your situation, and I'll just use that example with your father. It's obvious that you were feeling bad about your mom's anniversary of her death coming up. Your dad, of course, is feeling awful about it. You being able to sit there and identify what's causing you this issue is a great thing. Now, what are you going to do about it? Well, you're not helpless. I mean, well, you. No, it's just like, I, well, I, I text my dad. I call my dad. That's what I feel like I can do. Do you not feel like that's enough? I mean, that's, yeah, that's all I can do. But I can't resurrect her. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> but but in terms of, of what else you can do, I mean, just calling your dad. Do you feel like that's enough is what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. Does it take away the anxiety or anything like it? No, I mean, I still feel bad. You still feel bad, but you do you feel like... But it's like, I feel like I need to be there for him, so I call him, check on him, we grieve together, and that's about all. That's like, that's it. Right, it's what you can do. But, it, but I mean, but it's, I still feel bad, but at least I feel like I've done my part as a son for my father. Right. So what does somebody need to do for you, though? <clears throat> Buy me whiskey. Well, there you go. So we're... <laughs> so, step right one. That, right oh, yeah, down. you need so, to get a refill. We probably need I do to, need some refill. Wait a second. We'll get that okay, in a second. Uh, uh, going along with this, though. Okay. 
So I appreciate that. I feel like I've learned something about myself when you podcasted with Bubba. And, you know, yeah, you, you podcast with Bubba and you're just, y'all get along so well. Uh, it's because I have deep respect for Bubba. Oh, how dare you? No, it's because it's it's obvious because me and Bubba have a... have a. Um, They're very knowledgeable in many areas. Oh, sorry. How dare you, Enrique? Well, no, there's just certain dynamics. And you know. understand. How I understand. Work. Okay. This is the other thing with the other person in our gaming group that is a higher level. He has said before, <laughs> and I have, I, I have seen this. I think some people like to, I don't know, they like to use it as a way to stand out. Like, despite how people want to fit in, they also want to stand out. Right? Right. And people are like, use terms like, oh, I'm just OCD. Oh, I'm, I've got to have this this way because I'm OCD. I think they confuse their little quirks with actual being on the spectrum of autism. And he has said before that drives him insane when somebody says, I'm so OCD because I like to straighten up my curtains. Right. And and our particular friend here is. He is very legit. legit. And I was like, I can understand that because. When someone is, when you're actually, when you're actually OCD and it wrecks your life because you got to go there and make sure that lock is turned 500 times a day. Mine was opening the refrigerator to make sure the cat wasn't in it. Six <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, uh, it and, and it was there. Then what dawned on me was as a child, <laughs> my, 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 my mom was a cat lady, crazy cat lady. And so she always like any cat that came around was adopted. And my father despised cat so I, it was like this weird thing of like this is how she passive aggressively gets back at him oh, here's another cat put her in the freezer and boy. so uh, she, one time long ago like a cat accidentally got into the freezer and my mom was devastated by was this a chest freezer no it was an actual no. maytag freezer wow. so we had frozen not gonna make that joke um so <laughs> there was a um so it, it like got into my head that anytime i opened the freezer i was actually scared to open the refrigerator because I felt like the cat might get in there. And so if I ever open the refrigerator to get anything out, I'd have to open it and check, open it and check, open it and check like several, several times till finally like somebody on like 60 minutes or Dateline, they were doing a, an expose on like OCD. And this woman did the same thing. And I'm like, that's me. You're just I, standing there opening the freezer door like 60 times, 100 like, times. Like making sure that the cat's not in there. Like you had to double check. Cat? Was it in the cradle? No. <laughs> not silver with spin? the silver spoon. <laughs> Uh, but that's the that was the so yeah and I I understand what you mean that like some people I think people confuse quirks so quirky like no you're not on the spectrum you you don't have autism that's a that's a big difference and I think people because now there are many people coming out saying they have these issues mm-hmm. and they do stand out like you you have these issues so you're different and we need to acknowledge that and figure out how to work around it but that's different than being i'm so quirky so and 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 to address that that line of thinking so yeah there are a lot of people who are undiagnosed that have either self-diagnosed if that's even a thing and you know feel like they may have these problems and i don't ever discount that because yes it's very it, it is very easy to say that somebody is just doing this for attention and I do think that there are a small portion of people who do that. They, whatever their personality is, whatever it is that they, they, it's kind of like this Munchausen thing. Like they're, they're drawing attention to themselves. 
I think there's only a small subsect of people that actually do that. And so when somebody tells me that they have, they feel like they're on the spectrum or whatever type of language I like to use in connection with it. I'm often, you know, trying to accommodate them the best I can, just simply because of the fact that even though they may necessarily have an official diagnosis, they may still be very well suffering because of it. So, yeah, I don't. You're just cautious around whomever you have because everybody, it doesn't matter if you're neurotypical or neurodiverse, whatever it is, you still have your own little twerks, twerks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I haven't done that in quite some time. I know. But you all, everybody has their own little thing that you kind of have to be able to um, get around and be able to, to uh, well, for instance, another individual in our well, not so much our gaming group, but somebody I gamed a lot with, had severe dyslexia and could not read. Like near, very close to being illiterate because of his dyslexia. And so I knew every game that we played, we had to rely on a lot of iconology. Like there was, if that card had text on it that told him what to do, he was not going to be able to do it. He was not going to be able to read it. And so I was often careful to always make sure that whatever game we played, there was a lot of icons involved and not letters and words that he was going to have to read. And so I think it, will, it, it really just comes down to, to each individual person understanding what their limits are and being able to advocate for what issues it may be. And also, I mean, it, it comes to the group. Like, Well, I think just today, we just played Dune Imperium, which we will discuss here momentarily. It helps if both of you are able to acknowledge Jerry is able to acknowledge that he doesn't realize the way he sounds. I'm able to acknowledge I'm overly sensitive and emotional. Jerry beat me and Enrique by soundly. <laughs> and there and there's the, the tone Sa- of voice soundly by a great score. But the way he said it, and he brought it up in a few different ways and several times. He was really rubbing it in, so yeah, I felt. And so I felt, and therefore, it got Gabby super emotional because he took it as just Jerry just being mean, right. Jerry being mean and condescending, and like, yeah, you're an idiot. You can't play this game. I nearly, I doubled your score. So I want to say that pretty much all that I did not say. <laughs> no, no, no. You didn't say that. I'm saying by your words and your tone, that's how I took it. Yeah, but I did not say those things. But you basically did. No, no, no. And I didn't, Enrique, I didn't say those Enrique things. is an innocent bystander, not a standard. Right. Bystander. You bystander. He also acknowledged Enrique. No, I I understand the of why you took it that right, way, but right. he also has that tone of voice. He does. So right. therefore, he does I does have that tone of voice. He, <laughs> yes, I do. And he and he doesn't realize it. But just I, so matter of fact, you're so matter of that, fact. That, that's that's and and I appreciate that. And so here's here's what essentially happened with this is that I pointed out I was thinking in terms of the review of the game. And I did not like the fact that I scored like 15, 16 points. 14. 14. I scored 14 points. Because I was seven. And, and you Gobby, said I doubled your score. No, no, no. no so so Gobby had scored 17. No, I was uh, 14. Uh, anyways, it doesn't matter. Point. It doesn't matter. The point was is that I had scored so much more points and I was like, this game seems unbalanced. Like, why was I able to? And I used the expression lap you. And Gobby says, you didn't lap us. And I'm like, well, no, you have seven points and I have 14. I doubled your score. That was completely matter of fact. I was thinking completely at that time, not that I beat you. 
I was worried that this game is unbalanced because I was able to just blow you out of the water. And I felt like, <laughs> like, this is not fair. Like, there's something wrong with this game. Is my character overdone? What did I do? And the next thing I know, Gobby's emotional going, I can't believe you said I'm an idiot. And I'm like, I never said you were an idiot. But I never said you was an idiot at all. So, I, I, so instantly, this propelled us to play this game again. The next game was incredibly tight. And Enrique eked out a win very strategically. I'm like, okay, I understand now. That first game was a mulligan. This is how it's going to be from here on out. We're barely going to be able to defeat each other. And so my point of bringing this up is that my mind wasn't, I beat you so soundly, although I did. It was just a matter of fact (laughs) thing of like, this is what has happened. I wonder if this game is unbalanced. And the next thing, you're... You took from that, and apparently from my body language, my tone, whatever it was, that I was calling you an idiot. Yeah. And I was like, I did not call you an idiot. But we tied did. the very next game. Yes. So it's like, it's no, it was just the fact that you did something completely different. And then I delved down and showed what you did wrong. <laughs> now, and it was interesting because in this game, you can trash cards and God be trash certain cards that he should not have gotten rid of. I'm like, why would you do this? Why would you do that? Why didn't you do And so you could see how... From my standpoint, it was I'm simply bringing out, I'm poking holes in your in your strategy, and speaking matter of factly. Whereas you're assuming that I'm, t- in, I'm insinuating that you're an idiot, which was not the case on either side. That's why, oftentimes, I wonder why we're friends. Well, there you go. That's why. <laughs> but why that's why I bring the best out in you. You would never, you would never figure out how to play this game correctly if it wasn't for me and i'm that's just how it is but my point of this conversation was the fact that it's good if you can acknowledge your own weaknesses i realize i take things a little bit too seriously not seriously i take i don't know i guess seriously is the word but it's like I take everything as an an attack on myself personally yes and you imply Things that I imply things that you apparently don't mean, but I feel like you do by either your tone or your body language and just take the that, way that you and, say. And so take that another step, if you would. Take that just one more step further. You are implying you hear something, you apply it, and you take offense. So that must mean what? It's my fault. No. <laughs> well, I don't know what you mean. I'm saying is that. Our conversations, and I'm just this is this is just something just to throw out there in the ether, and you can just kind of dig around and think about <laughs> okay, this. But often, and I say often, uh-huh. when I say often, I mean a literally lot. a lot. You somehow always circle back to you said this, and you're calling me an idiot, and I'm going, no, I'm not calling you an idiot. So could it might maybe be that perhaps you might feel like you are an idiot? <laughs> And so every time I say something, you're like, you're calling me an idiot. Yes. I'm like, no, well, you're not. I feel inferior. Why? I, I don't know. Call a psychiatrist. I don't know. Well, you don't. You're not. Why do you feel that way? I just do. I Welcome. Feel this is, I feel like I'm feel like this Dr. Phil. I feel dumb. <laughs> feel dumb. Why do you feel dumb? I don't know. You edit the podcast. <laughs> That right there, I trust you to edit the podcast. Well, I would not let somebody dumb edit my podcast. And you're the, also technically the owner of the podcast. He's No, he's That's he's 49%. I'm 51%. Oh. Actually, I pay all the Podbean charges. But I have creative control. <laughs> Trademark the, pending. Actually, you didn't LLC that. LLC, so. that is LLC. I never told you about it. LLC. 
Podbean could just check the credit card stats. That's okay. It doesn't matter. LLC. Your your website went defunct. That website that website didn't go defunct. I shut it down. Oh, you shut it down. There's a difference. I wasn't fired. I went out on top. All right. So Dune Imperium. Let's talk about it. I do too. I want to talk about Dune Imperium. You Uh, do too. That's what I said. Dune Imperium. Let's talk about that. I said I I, do too. I Dune too because this is the second Dune game that's been released here recently. Get it? It's puns. Good one. Dune. Uh, Crocodile Dundee. uh, Dune D. That doesn't make any sense. Please cut all of this. I'm trying to make a pun with a Dune. D. Dune. Dune. It's good. It's good. I just can't come up with another. Crocodile Dundee? No, I already said Crocodile that. Dundee 2. Uh. <laughs> Crocodile Dundee 3. What Hollywood. Happened, what happened to Paul Hogan? Um, he got divorced here a few years back. Yeah, him and her got married, then they got divorced. And I hear he's kind of a douche. A dunes? A dunes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm still digging for it. I'm sorry. I'm going for it. I'm all in on this done thing. Uh, I kind of just heard this one the way he That can't there. be true. I mean, he talks Australian. That's just like... So, no. Hello. Crikey. No. Just to, no. What does crikey mean, actually? I was thinking about that the other day because you often say crikey, and I wondered what does that mean? So, any... Like, Yikes! All of our Australian listeners, I don't want to Google it. I just want someone to well go Google. I thought it was crocodile related, like crocky, crikey, crikey, crocky. The way they say it, crikey, crocky. <laughs> That's like if you're wearing, crikey. like you have you wearing your Crocs out. I wear my Crocs, crocky. I'm feeling very crockety today. Crocky today. No, I, it means something. I, I feel like wearing sandals. I'm worried that it has some sort of other meaning. Enrique's trying Enrique's to spell crikey. How do you even spell that? No, he doesn't know how to spell it. C-R-I-K-E-Y, clearly. Crotchety. Crikey. Crikey. Hell's it going to die? Uh, I don't know. We just, our Australian listeners can email it in and let us know. Boardgamesnobs at gmail.com. It's very interesting that there's these... Exp- what term do we have in America that's like crikey? That is Eureka! What? What? You don't yell Eureka. I do every time I discover something. You, you've, which has been when? <laughs> which has been I found when? my keys in the couch. Eureka! No. No, I mean, a crikey means like, but cr- that does not what mean cr- That's an exclamation of it, shock. It's, it's just an expression of surprise. Uh-huh. So it can literally mean anything. So yeah. like, somebody's like, hey, come in here. There's nothing going on for your anniversary. You walk in the door, but it's like, happy anniversary, like, that has literally never happened on Australia. I did that on my anniversary. You did I not. Shouted I shouted I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. Dune, all in, Dune Imperium. Sorry. Yes. I'm not. Let's get into when that. Enrique won the second game, me and Jerry exclaimed, Crikey! We were surprised. Designed by Paul Denon. Don't know by him. By Paul Hogan. I thought you were supposed to say. <laughs> almost did. I glanced and thought, oh. Dune, Dune Imperium. Dune Imperium. Oh. Uh, that's not a worker placement. <laughs> That's this no is spice. a worker. This is a worker placement. That's no spice. That's my best Australian this accent. This is your spice. Uh, is little kangaroos out there fighting over Arrakis. Arrakis. <laughs> Wait a, a minute. A kangaroos. Is Dune just Planet Australia? There's no exactly. water. Exactly. It's the there's, there's dust everywhere. That's Everyone's it. fighting for spice. That's it. You're correct. It's spice and fosters. <laughs> 
Australian for spice. <laughs> uh, is that what it is? Nobody drinks Fosters no. in Australia. I have zero. I am trying so hard to remember this game. I know we played it literally 30 <laughs> minutes ago, but you've got me on this wormhole. <laughs> worms. What a worms. Uh, of Dune Imperium. Quickly, 30 seconds. Let me get my spiel. Dune Imperium okay. is a... Spiel means game in German. Spiel. It's a deck builder slash worker placement. Dick. Uh, no, I'm not making that joke either. I'm trying my best. So It's a real dick builder. Go on. I'm trying. I really am. In Dune Imperium, you have your little hand of cards. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, you are utilizing these cards to place workers out onto the board. Certain action spaces give you certain resources. You use those resources to go to other places. It's that uh, that I'm I'm lost. Oh I'm my sorry. god, this is killing me. You've messed me up. Let me start over. Okay. So let me tell you how this game. First off, we had one listener who always wants to know about the components. The components in Dune Imperium are fine. The artwork is really good. It's based off the up and coming Dune film, so a lot of the artwork is the animated character. Uh, the At animated. least it's not clip art. It's not clip art. It looks very good. It's very minimalist, but at the same time, the card quality is very good. The components are decent. It, it's nice. It's I, fine. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing outstanding. It's nothing about fantastic. It. It's nothing terrible. I will say this: there is one thing about the artwork that I particularly enjoyed. Well, for two things actually. One, the world book is really good. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, I read through the rule book before playing it and, and thought I had a pretty decent grasp on it and it was very easy to find what I needed in there. There are There is an FAQ on Board Game Geek that kind of clarifies some certain things because there is some sp- spots that little fiddly rules that you might not quite seem like they're intuitive, but For they instance, are. For instance, the agent actions on the card when you play a card to a certain location, it also, you can do an agent action. We weren't sure if you had to do that action or if it was optional. It's so, in the FAQ. So there's there, there's some clarification on that. But the iconology in this game is really good. Mm-hmm. Like, it is clear. This card lets you place guys on one of these various areas. And so it's very much like uh, at the beginning of the round, you'll take five cards. You have those five cards. And you have your little agents. And you begin with two. You can get a third one later. And so the turns are very fast. You play a card. And on that card are the areas that you can go on the board. And that right there kind of narrows down that worker placement and makes it even tighter. When you put your worker out there on that board, sometimes there's to get resources or do whatever the actions are. Sometimes you have to pay resources to go there. And so it is a little bit of deck building, worker placement, and resource management. And basically, you're fighting over the planet of Dune, of Arrakis. And the combat in it's very interesting, where you just have these cubes that are in your garrison, and you're trying to move those cubes from the garrison out onto the planet and that's how you kind of do battle so at the end of the round whoever has the most cubes out there and the cards that modify them whoever has that they win that battle and they get whatever the uh, rewards are from the conflict cards the mechanic in the game that i think is really outstanding i deck building is fine i don't like a game that's just solid deck building i like deck building as kind of a side mechanic this whole thing of having five cards and having two or three workers, you play a card, you put a worker out there. It's very much like underwater cities in a lot of ways. Like you're, you're, you're playing a card, you're having some actions on that card that you can also activate and place a worker. 
After you've done your turns with your workers, the other cards in your hand, however many there may be, you lay them down and you get the benefits from them that are at the bottom of the card. Some of those benefits are basically influence, which is like money in the game that allows you to buy other cards or their combat modifiers that allow you to increase the strength. The combat modifiers that allow you to increase the strength of your of your army there. I find that fascinating because what boils down to is that you have this card that you desperately want to play because it has a location on it that you want to put one of your workers or it has a benefit that you want to use. But at the same time, if you don't use that card, at the end of the round when you reveal your hand, it has some bonus that is really good. So not only does the game really tighten up because of the worker placement, because other players are eating up all the spots, but you're also restricted by the cards that are in your hand. But also those very cards sometimes have good things on them that you just want to hold on to. Uh, so that mechanic is the the base of the game. It's like, how do I use this card? Very underwater city-like, and also, to me, kind of very much like brass in a lot of ways. Like you have these deck of cards in your hand, and you're trying to figure out where you want to build and utilize these cards to build what type of, of uh, businesses out there. So I I very much think that is a, a very simple but yet excellent mechanism in doing that, that card management, I guess you want to call it. It was night and day. We played this, me and Jerry, a f- few months back two player with the bot doing the battling with the bot we didn't like that because the bot was we felt in our opinion overpowered like the bot barely ever never lost hardly the battle you know where you leave your garrison go out into the battle arena whatever it's called that is like super important with three-player game because it's like how half of them cards or victory points so if you come in first you if you win the battle you get a victory point very important or you get these entry cards or you move up on the influence or alliance tracks with three players that was incredible well three live players uh i loved this game like i can't tell you how much it changed from two players with a bot to three actual players the battling meant a lot so it's like you're trying to get people out there to battle for those victory points and everything else that it gives you i mean you get i would say half your points sometimes from those battles or if you just dedicate yourself to moving up the alliance tracks or whatever they're called you can get two four six you can get eight points that if you move up all the tracks all the way but that's hard to do and rare and then your entry cards give you victory points. So there's several ways to get it, but battling is the more straightforward and easiest way to do it other than moving up your alliance tracks. But my point is three live human players, I imagine at four, it gets, well, there's no imagining, it would get tighter because there's no blocking off spots with less players. Like the boards are the same no matter two to four players. Four players, I can imagine this game gets really tight, really hard. You really have to calculate things out. And you could calculate things out, and then you're going to get screwed because somebody's going to go where you need to go. Three players, I probably, I might like this better at three players because I don't feel that feeling of getting screwed over so much. I love this game. Uh, I will say that the solo of it, which is an app, 
or a deck of cards for what you turn over is very easy. I mean, you basically turn over this card. It tells you where to put the the robot players. Uh, at a solo game you're doing, you're, you're against... It's still a three-player game. You're just playing against two bots. The two-player game, and we grabbed about it, and I, it's a pet peeve of ours when someone says it's a two- to four-player game, and, but the two-player requires you to utilize some other mechanism to simulate a third player. This game does it. I had a real problem with that, and I think that's more of a pet peeve than anything. This game is meant to be played three to four players. If you have three to four players in your group, this is an awesome game. Deck building, resource management, worker placement, this is an awesome, awesome, very tight very strangely easy to learn and straightforward at the same time. It, 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 I had problems at the first when I was looking at, I, there were, it felt like there are games when you play, you feel like you're missing something. And I could not get it wrapped around my head that it was just play this card out here, look at those symbols, and then decide those are the areas that you can go, so place a worker out there. There's something about that that was just throwing me off, like this can't be that easy. But truly it is. The strategy behind the game is very deep because you brought out the three different ways that you can get victory points. Yes, you get victory points from fighting and winning those battles at the end of the round. There's only like 10 rounds, is it? I believe, or eight rounds. And I think there's only like... It's 10 rounds or a first person at 10 points. I can't remember. I I think there's like three three, four cards that actually have victory points. So as the course towards the end of the game, some of the battles have bigger victory points on them. So you get victory points from fighting, but also you get victory points going up these four alliance tracks. And these alliance tracks are hard to move up on. They do give you better bonuses. The third way that you get victory points, or actually it's a mechanism that also just gives you resources and various other things, are these intrigue cards. This, again, is a pet peeve of mine. I hate when games have these hidden secret mission things that only you have this card that will suddenly give you points or or whatever it is. Well, these entry cards are well-balanced. They're hard to obtain. You have to go out of your way to get them, and they are random. The benefits of them often come at a cost. For instance, you have to meet this certain objective or be at this certain area or, or whatever it is to be able to play it. But they're a huge benefit. They felt like... And I mentioned this to Enrique, like in Cosmic Encounter, where you have these cards and everybody's just throwing cards out there. Well, everybody just gets cards from a deck. You know, it's just that random. These intrigue cards are powerful, but yet they're balanced. They don't break the game, and they come in three forms. There's combat cards that randomly increase your combat value. So you can have this card and hold it till the right battle is around that you can, you know, this, this can pull out a win for you. There's plot cards that come out during your turn that either just give you a little bit of resources or help you move up a map a little bit easier. And then there's in-game scoring cards that you can hold on to that at the end of the game, if you happen to meet this objective, you get more points for it. I apps, I generally hate that type of design where you just have this deck of cards that you're just pulling stuff out of and you're hiding it from everybody else and it randomly gives you points. I hate that type of mechanism. This is one of the few games in it that I actually feel like it works and it adds to the game. They're hard to get. They're hard to use. They don't necessarily break the game, but they do give you another way of gaining points and victory. Well, it doesn't just hand you the victory points. Like you had to meet three of these criteria, which isn't easy. So it's like you did have to work for those victory points, but it gives them to you if you meet those objectives. So like Enrique had one is like move up 
have at least three influence on those alliance on, tracks. Yeah, on, a, on three or four alliance tracks. Right. So Enrique, obviously, the, also a good thing about these entry cards is that they give you a direction to go in. Like, obviously, Enrique was focused on moving up these alliance tracks, and he was ignoring fighting for the most part and just trying to move up these tracks, which is difficult to do. I think the only time I actually fought was to either get intrigue cards or victory points. Right. And so he was actually, we were all playing the same game, but, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't go out and say that there's different paths to victory. It's just, you can, the game will let you focus on one area more than the other. You, you should always be fighting. You should always want to be in every battle so that you can get some of the bonuses from it. Unless you just think, all right, I'm going to lose. Because in a three-player game, the first player gets a big bonus. The second one gets a little, and the third one gets nothing. So, obviously, you don't, you know, if you know you're going to lose, there's no need to be a part of it. Save your troops for later. So, there is some, you know, keeping reinforcements. Buying cards from that tableau was great. Being able to look at and and see, man, I really want to be able to buy cards. That's another way that you can get victory points from is buying this super expensive that worm card. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which propelled me to victory in the first game because I was generating a lot of influence, thus being able to buy high price cards. And that card is always available. You could always buy those cards, and so every time you got nine influence, you could buy one. And I was focused on that because it was slowly eating away moving me closer and closer to the victory. Uh, I like the way the game, You, it, of course, it's Arrakis, so you can hardly get water. Oh, yeah. So you need water. There's only a few spots that give you water. You need water to get spice. You need spice to get money. It all feeds into itself very well. Thematically, yeah, it's hard to get water. That made sense. I like that. It just blows my mind how much this game, I went from not liking it at two-player. I did not like this game at two-player, so loving it at three. So just FYI, uh, this is a 2020 release, as is Moonrakers. And I know on a previous podcast, I talked about Moonrakers being up there for my game tw- of the year. 2020 releases. Dune Imperium gives it a run for its money. I mean, this is this is a very tight race in between these two, and they're both deck builders, strangely enough, which is not, you know, the deck building is not their primary mechanism, which, again, like deck building, just a solid, pure deck builder I don't like. I like deck building when it's like the side note, like it's something that you're able to utilize. It's, it's, it's not the primary mechanism. Uh, Dune Imperium is up there. I mean, it is, it is, it's not... I don't like it solo. No. I definitely don't don't uh, like and, it two player. And that does make a difference to me. It's like a lot of games I recommend. I, I was like, I'd like to say this game is good from two to four. This game is not. No, nope. uh, a one to four. It is not. It's uh, we don't enjoy it solo. We don't enjoy it two player. Great at three. Haven't played it at four. Can only imagine it ramps up the tension. But yeah, it's great game at three to four. But yeah, it's hard to recommend all around because of the lack, the things that lacks at one to two player, in our opinion. Hey there, everybody. Gabby here, editor in chief, CEO uh, from the future. So we had just talked about how this game was not good with the bots. Upon this recording, as of right now, I had just played this solo last night for the first time by myself. Jerry had 
like set it up and kind of went through it. I used the bots because we had played uh, after this recording several times uh, with three players. I felt th- thoroughly familiar with it. Broke out the bots. It was not as hard as I remember fighting them in combat. Um, really, actually kind of liked it. I wasn't crazy still having to operate two AI robots. Just wish it was like just me against one bot. But, uh, you know, I just wanted to say, uh, kind of changed my mind. And Jerry feels that, I don't know, maybe we did something wrong that two-player game because I almost won. Now, granted, it was uneasy because I like to do things easy. But, uh, yeah, the bots. Uh, I was wrong. I retract what I was saying. I don't know what changed. Maybe I just played it right. I don't know. Whatever it was, the bots. Not that big a deal. (laughs) So disregard me saying it's not good at two and one players. Because I rather enjoyed it. I rather enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, sorry for this long interruption. Uh, great game. Bye. We can't uh, ramble on for a little bit about the game, why don't you? Basically, the game is just our lovely host described it. It's a deck building game. That, and like Jerry said, the it's the main mechanic of the deck building is, well, not its deck building. It's the resources. You've said deck building several times. Well, yes, I keep know. saying it though. He's building up his. It's just building up his deck. Yeah, uh, you know I'm not good at speaking. In the mind. How did you feel about it? Oh, I loved it. Scale of one to ten. Uh, five. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to give it a strong nine at least. Oh my, a nine. So it's like uh, just like a top ten game for you. It could be yes. Could be potentially there, potential. I'm I'm thrilled with it. I I bought it because I thought maybe the Solo would be good in it. <laughs> what was that? What is that? Did you not get Conrad's email? I got Conrad Ratcherford. I mentioned his email. What was that, his email? Remember we played this? Yes, that noise. I didn't know what that noise was. Do you remember our previous podcast with Sir Jude? Yes. Oh, no. And bees living their life to the full? The endophallus? Hear that audible pop? Yes. That's the end of the bee. No, it's not. That's what that's what Conrad <laughs> Conrad said. doesn't know. That's what he said. That is not Conrad is not a bee. Have guy. you heard an audible pop? I know, but from the endophallus of a bee? Listen. Conrad, I was listening. I heard the pop. Conrad is a musician. <laughs> he does not know. He sat he had a microphone, put it down to a bee. And this is the noise he heard. Oh yeah. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Oh. oh, pop goes the weasel. You know what Ben Conrad was in? The Bee Gees. <laughs> Get it? The Bee Gees? The Bee yeah. Gees? <laughs> oh, who's Ben Conrad? I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Conrad Ratcherford. And it's not Ratcherford. Okay. All Ratchford. right. That's enough. That's enough for this episode. But Dune is great. Dune is great. Imperium. Great if you have at least three players. Yeah. Do not do it by it solo. I don't. Well, I mean, I know it's getting a lot of love in the oh, solo people forums. apparently love it. Not us. I don't like it solo. I truly think that if you are the type that likes underwater cities, that type of mechanism, but you want a lot of player interaction, excellent. If deck building is in your uh, milieu. milieu. Oh, yeah, I messed up. That's not Brian Adams or Mick Adams. 
It was Brian. Who is Mick Adams? What's the guy that sang? All right, there's the guy who did the music. Brian video. Adams. All right, the Brian Mick Adams is the guy who did the song when the undeniable when the plane crashed. I don't know you don't remember that song? About. No, I don't. Know. It was what, a music video back in the day. There was a plane. It, the music videos of a plane crash, and he died on the plane crash, and he's singing the song. Oh, one, two, three, and four. I sent it to, 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 you remember that song? Five. One, it's like a dream come true. That one. Two. Yes, that one. I want to be something like that. I think that is a Brian McKnight. No, it's not. It's, it, no, it's a different guy. Different guy. You are, you've been so wrong. Trust me, it's a different guy. (laughs) No, 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 that is Brian McKnight. Well, I know. I'm saying, who's, who's saying the, no, wait a minute. Who's saying Prince of Thieves? Who's saying everything I do, I yeah. do it for you? That's Brian Adams. I get Brian Adams and Brian McKnight mixed up. I know one's this little skinny Brian white guy. Brian McKnight sings uh, uh, R&B. I get them mixed up. I'm Just sorry. because their names are Brian? Brian. I don't do yeah. Brian. If your name is Brian or Ryan, I don't do, I can't under, I don't do it. Oh I can't God. get it right. Completely different. So anyways, Dune Imperium is awesome. We highly, high, it's approved. Approved? Yes. 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 And three players or more. Thank you. And uh, that'll do it. Send us an email. <laughs> just, just send emails. We don't, uh, voicemails. We no, like voicemails. I enjoyed the voicemails. We'll play a couple of voicemails on our next podcast. Okay. That's going to do it for this episode. We don't have any voicemails. From yeah, we next. do. We do? Yes. Oh. Do you check our emails? I do. You know I don't think doesn't. you do. I'm busy. I'm Gabby. This episode is done. That's Jerry. Dundee. And this is a Thank you for listening to the Board Game Snobs. Stay classy. 